It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. When you think cybersecurity, you're probably thinking about measures to keep hackers out of your network. Our guest today, Adam Bates, is focused on the next steps after an attack begins. The assistant professor of computer science at the University of Illinois was granted a National Science Foundation Career Award to advance the use of data providence, the goal of which is to identify the attacker, figure out their grand plan, and prevent them from achieving that plan. His work has attracted interest from Visa and the MIT Lincoln Laboratory. Adam Bates, welcome to the program. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Well, I guess first off, just talk a little bit about define provenance and, and what that is uh, before we get uh, into some of the specifics. Yeah, so let me set the stage a little bit. Uh, we all know that computer systems are getting bigger and bigger and, and bigger. Uh, cloud computing, uh, massive data centers holding you know, the Google search engine or Facebook, um, you know, big enterprise organizations that are managing tens of thousands of machines at a time. So within these environments, uh, attacks are becoming a lot more subtle and complex, uh, making them difficult to detect. Uh, so modern attackers use what's sometimes called a low and slow approach. Um, once they've broken into a system, they covertly monitor and probe the network for a prolonged period of time uh, before launching into their real attack. Um, so this means that traditional security monitoring software um, might not notice their presence because uh, their behaviors in isolation simply aren't suspicious enough. Uh, it looks too much like normal activity. So finding the bad guys in modern computer networks is very much a needle in a haystack problem. Um, this all relates to a broader acknowledgement in computer security that uh, when an adversary or an attacker is powerful and motivated um, and well-financed, uh, it's not a matter of if they break in, but when. We call this kind of an attacker an advanced persistent threat. A couple of examples of advanced persistent threats. Um, the Equifax security breach uh, just this past year where uh, 143 million records were lost describing you know, Americans' personal information. Um, that took three months for that attack before Equifax was able to understand the attack and then kick the, you know, patch the system, get the attackers out. Um, another example is an oldie but a goodie. Um, back in 2012, um, Google's mail servers were broken into by some nation state. Uh, it was called Operation Aurora. Um, and so these attackers, they were trying to find um, the email accounts of political activists. That attack took six months from beginning to end before Google was able to say, you know, okay, we kicked them out. Uh, there's a silver lining here. Uh, and that's that um, attackers are hard to find because the networks are vast and complex now. Uh, but that same complexity also makes the attacker's job harder. Um, in the case of Google, they had six months to poke around. They never found the email accounts they were looking for. Um, so once the attacker gains a foothold into the system, uh, they, need to, they need time to case the joint in order to figure out uh, where the information they need is stored. Um, so as defenders, if we can figure out what the attacker is trying to do uh, before they find that information, we have an opportunity to kick them out. So even though they've broken into our system, uh, we still ultimately win because they didn't achieve their uh, mission objective. And so broadly, this is where my research comes in. 
Um, in my research group, the Secure and Transparent Systems Lab, uh, we design tools that help defenders of computer systems uh, to reason about events that are happening within those systems, uh, to separate signal from noise so that defenders can find uh, the needle in that haystack faster. Well, I would think just noticing that the presence th that they're there to begin with, because if they're able to, attackers are able to get in and live in your network for that long before they achieve whatever they're achieving, without being detected, that's, that's a problem. If you could identify that they're even there would be a good first step. Absolutely. A, a big part of that, um, a part of being a system administrator today, trying to compete, uh, keep your uh, computer network safe, uh, it's not that there isn't security alerts, it's that there's thousands of security alerts per day. So how can you tell the legitimately dangerous things that are happening from false alerts, basically? Um, you know, I mentioned that uh, finding an event in a computer system is a haystack. So uh, what's the hay? <laughs> um, the hay is millions upon millions of audit log messages that are being recorded by these systems uh, that describe the different tasks that the computer is performing. Um, this program read this file, uh, this program sent this network message, uh, so on and so forth. And so uh, any one of these events uh, could be evidence of an attack, uh, but more likely uh, it's just normal system activity. So I think that there's a, a growing recognition um, as we face off against these uh, nation state adversaries, you know, these advanced persistent threats uh, that um, we're not gonna be able to keep them out. And so we need to think a lot more about how we're tracking the things that are happening within a system. You know, this isn't something that uh, a program can solve for us. These are human in the loop problems where we have uh, real human beings uh, putting in hundreds to thousands of hours uh, pouring over these records so they can figure out what a potential bad guy is doing within their system. Um, and so uh, myself, along with um, uh, other people in the security community, are beginning to look at this issue um, uh, of understanding and processing uh, system audit logs um, more seriously in the past five years or so. So in you know, getting back to our initial uh, talk about data provenance and, and how this relates to um, you know, what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, each of these audit log messages uh, is an important piece, potentially important piece of forensic evidence um, that might be useful in an investigation of what a system intruder is doing. Um, the foundational technique that we use to make sense of these millions of messages is called uh, data provenance. Uh, provenance is an idea that dates back uh, hundreds to thousands of years in the art world. Um, if you're evaluating the quality you know, of, a, of a painting or some piece of art, you know, of course, one thing you're doing is deciding, you know, how does this make me feel? Uh, but in another sense, you're, you're trying to gauge uh, the integrity of that piece of art. Um, so uh, a painting's provenance certificate uh, describes the chain of custody uh, of who, who's owned that painting over the years. Um, so let's say we're at an art auction and we're bidding on a Picasso. Uh, we, we take a look at the, the provenance of that um, certificate. Uh, in fact, they actually had a, a, an exhibit on provenance in the Brainerd Center this past year. Um, so we look at this provenance certificate and we see, okay, it was owned by this museum. And before that, it was owned by this museum. You know, but 400 years ago, there was this 50-year gap in its provenance. Uh, well, if we see that gap, we're probably bidding on a fake Picasso right now. Um, so in the same way, in the computer world, uh, data provenance describes the history of each object that exists on the system. Um, and we can go back through that provenance history to understand if anything suspicious has happened. Um, we can use that to 
um, investigate the integrity of a file or understand what it is that a certain program has been doing on our computer. Um, so if we take each of these individual audit records that exists on a machine and uh, we stitch them together, uh, we can create this massive graph, um, which we call a provenance graph. And it in fact describes the entire history of the computing system. Um, and so once we have this provenance graph, uh, we can learn about the ancestry of a particular file or program by tracing its provenance through that graph. Okay. So uh, talk a little about um, individual computer, computers, because one of the things that I noticed on your research page mm -hmm. is talking about computers aren't designed specifically to handle these. We're talking, we're talking about networks as opposed to individual computers. Just talk about you know, that, um, you know, maybe that the, the individual computers maybe are behind from what, you know, what we're, from being able to detect these type, type of attacks. Yeah. So in a sense, you know, the study of computer security today is uh, trying to catch up from 30 years of us prioritizing, uh, prioritizing features over uh, security practices. Um, really with the advent of the personal computer, um, it, you know, people began to advocate for, you know, what does it matter if we can secure this system? Uh, only one person's ever going to use it. It's a personal computer. Obviously, no one was anticipating the internet at the time. So in general, a lot of uh, computer security is about understanding how we can integrate um, old ideas that go back to when computers uh, took up entire rooms uh, into, um, in into modern operating systems and computer systems. So... For a number of years, we I haven't been worried about sharing credit card information, personal information, sending it. I mean, it, there is a, an understanding that it's secure, but obviously, you know, hackers are getting in and, and hacking major networks. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I assume this is where uh, your research comes in. Yeah, so uh, in my dissertation work, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about, uh, thinking about individual computers. How can we explain uh, what's happening on this one machine? Uh, so I designed a system that captured data provenance on an individual operating system. Um, and it was really helpful for explaining uh, different types of attacks that you might see on an individual machine. Uh, but there was a, there was a problem. Um, this system that I designed, um, over the course of 10 minutes, if the system was very active, it could actually produce five gigabytes of uh, data provenance, audit records, describing what the machine was doing. Um, so if we sort of, uh, you know, did the math, that's uh, 650 gigabytes per day, uh, four and a half terabytes per week. Uh, so now let's imagine that we're a system administrator that's trying to keep track of thousands of machines. Um, clearly, you know, this is too much information. Like we're collecting things that uh, we can't afford to store. Uh, we're collecting things that uh, we're probably not, not ever going to need to look at. Um, because none of, most of this wasn't malicious activity. This is just, you know, what the system was up to. Um, so uh, how can we be smarter about which uh, pieces of evidence that we're recording so that we um, can change that signal-to-noise ratio and make it so that, you know, what we're paying the cost of storage for uh, is, is more valuable? So um, this uh, NSF award is very much about thinking about these uh, larger networks and how we can... Uh, record the information that we need in order to be able to detect and explain a system intrusion 
without paying those <laughs> exorbitant costs that were associated with my dissertation work. Um, so uh, let me give you an example of uh, one such system. Uh, we call it Winnower. Uh, it was published uh, this past year at the um, Internet Society's Network and Distributed Systems uh, Security Symposium. Um, so uh, let's say, you know, again, we're in this big enterprise network and we want to be able to keep track of uh, what, what's going on. So uh, Winnower reads in the audit records of, of a computer in order to produce a model that describes uh, what it is that that computer is doing, a behavior or model. Uh, specifically, our system produces a grammar that describes the events that are happening on that machine. So when I say grammar, I mean the exact thing that we always mean when we refer to grammar. Uh, it's, a, it's a set of rules that describe how we produce valid examples of a language. Um, so here, the grammar, instead of describing a spoken language, is actually describing the kinds of audit events that we're seeing on the machine. So now we have this grammar that describes what's happening on an individual machine. Uh, let's give it back to that computer and tell it, uh, as new events occur on this machine, uh, check to see if they match the grammar. If they match the grammar, then uh, you don't need to produce new evidence of this happening. We already know that it's happening. Uh, only produce new audit events if something deviates from the grammar. So we repeat that process of building the grammar over time and we get a more and more complete uh, picture of what's happening on that computer. Now we need to record less of what's happening. All right, so we have this grammar for an individual machine. Now let's collect all of the grammars from every computer in our system and build a new grammar that simultaneously describes all 10,000 machines that we have. Okay, once we have uh, this massive uh, model of everything that's happening in our system, let's give it back to each individual computer and then the same rules apply. If something matches the grammar, uh, don't record new audit information, but if something deviates, uh, do. So now we've brought you know, the amount of audit information that we're generating to an absolute global minimum um, we've reduced the amount of hay that we're producing in the system. Uh, but when an attack occurs, you know, when we see that needle, it's going to deviate from the known behavior of the system. And so we're going to uh, still produce audit records that describe those events and immediately send them to an administrator. So we, we built this system um, and implemented it. Um, particularly, we were looking at uh, Linux containers, which are sort of the hot new uh, cloud computing paradigm. Um, and uh, we found that, you know, let's say we've deployed a web server on um, a thousand containers. We were able to take the amount of um, audit recording that we needed to do um, and reduce it by 98% in that environment. So all of a sudden, instead of having to deal with uh, terabytes upon terabytes of information, we're only actually recording a couple megabytes of information. And uh, what that means is that uh, if something suspicious ever does happen in the system, uh, you know, the haystack is going to be really small. It's going to be really easy for a human to sort of visualize what's happening in the network and quickly identify the, you know, the deviant behavior. So then what, what kind of alerts come, come up once they see that there's something that's been deviated at, at the system? How, how, did, mm -hmm. how quickly can you identify that there's actually this deviation you're talking about? Yeah, so you know, I mentioned at the outset that uh, a lot of traditional security monitoring system uh, really isn't uh, doing a great job for us uh, today. Uh, one reason for that is that a lot of it's um, 
signature based or rule based. You know, we know that certain things are suspicious. So we write a rule that says, you know, oh, if this computer is talking to this computer, that doesn't normally happen. So fire an alert. Right. So it's kind of um, a bit of a heuristic. Um, you know, we just we describe certain expectations about what the system's doing. Uh, but, you know, th those uh, expectations get violated all the time for innocuous reasons. Right. You know, maybe uh, if we're running um, some some system, our developers, you know, our, our, uh, our computer developers decide that they need um, they need a path now between two computers that have never spoke before. And so, uh, you know, they, they write that rule. Similar, I get alerts from a credit card company that says, yeah. hey, I've got a purchase that looks suspicious. We don't know if it is. Uh, can you validate yeah, this exactly. purchase? You know, Mike, Mike's never been to Aruba before. So, you know, we don't expect his credit card to be used in Aruba. Uh, so is that, you know, because your, your information was stolen or because you went on a vacation that you didn't tell your credit card company about? So, uh, you know, we're not at a loss for alerts, uh, but we're, uh, we have a hard time understanding why did this alert happen? So, you know, going back to our system, um, when we see one of these alerts, uh, we can now produce um, this very small, concise uh, provenance graph that basically explains, you know, here's every single system, um, every single computer in our system, here's what it's normally doing. You know, we can highlight all of that in green. Uh, but here's a weird thing that caused an alert, and we highlight that in red. And so we can sort of overlay thousands of computers on top of each other and still make it very easy for the system defender to see, okay, what, what is the anomalous behavior? And normally, uh, when a human's interpreting the thing that's suspicious, that's kind of our ground truth. If, if they understand uh, what the system's supposed to be doing, then they're going to be able to um, interpret uh, in a, signs of an attack better than you know, a set of rules that we write can. Okay, so we mentioned identifying the attack, um, and then next, trying to figure out what they're up to. So once you identify, talk about the the kind of the the plan it, to to figure out you know what's this attacker up to, and 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 how do we prevent them from from uh, carrying out their attack? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so going back to this uh, idea of an advanced persistent threat. And uh, this isn't in reference to any particular, you know, intrusion that's happened, although a lot of them sort of follow this routine. Um, so if we're dealing with one of these advanced persistent threats, the first thing they need to do is establish a foothold into the system. Um, so maybe uh, frequently they do that not by attacking a computer, but by uh, hacking a human. So, you know, these sorts of social engineering attacks. Uh, maybe this takes the form of like a really well-crafted um, email that has a malicious uh, email attachment in it. Uh, which we call a spear phishing attack. So perhaps some administrative assistant um, gets an email that uh, looks a lot like it's from their boss, and so they click the attachment. And um, as that happens, invisibly on their computer, um, th there's a, a program that's launched that allows the attacker to connect remotely to that machine. So uh, they've established a foothold in this uh, big computer network. Uh, the next thing they do is move into this phase that's called uh, lateral movement. So now that they're on one system, they start uh, trying to spread to other computers in the network. It's a little bit easier to do uh, because uh, now they um, aren't connecting from you know, some random location on the internet, but they can connect to the other computers from you know, within the, the organization itself. So as they're moving laterally, they're looking for opportunities to uh, escalate privilege. So um, normally you know, in, a, in a business environment, I probably don't have permission to install whatever I want to on a computer. I don't have permission to 
access every single other computer in the system. You know, I have a limited set of permissions and they're looking for opportunities to begin to run code um, at an administrative level. Um, so, you know, as they're doing this, they're learning more and more about the network. Perhaps there's a particular piece of data that they're looking for in the system, such as, you know, information on uh, the email accounts of certain political activists or, you know, millions upon millions of uh, credit histories, <laughs> things like that. So I guess the elephant in the room, uh, because it's been in the news uh, with the Russian hacking, I mean, how, how then they get into, in this case, they get into the system and, you know, it's able to spread. Just talk about what your uh, research will do to help prevent these types of attacks in the future. Absolutely. Um, so uh, first to preface, I don't know exactly what happened. You know, the particular exploit that was used to break into the DNC or anything like that. Um, I do believe that I read in a news article that um, it started out with something very simple like a spear phishing attack. Um, uh, so, you know, where I might come in is um, after that point. So say, you know, perhaps there's an antivirus, a piece of antivirus software that says, you know, hey, this, this file looks a little bit suspicious. Um, and so we send an alert to, um, you know, the person that's responsible for managing the infrastructure for the DNC. So the types of tools that I'm trying to develop would allow that administrator to more quickly understand what that suspicious software was doing on the computer. Um, so if they could more quickly understand, okay, I see that this computer is running a program that's probing other computers in our system. Um, it you know, looks like they're uh, searching for access to our email server or something like that. Um, then hopefully, based on the information that we can, you know, make salient to the system operator, uh, they'll be able to, you know, uh, quarantine that computer before the, the attacker is able to spread to other um, machines on the system. Or, you know, if it, uh, if it looks like an emergency, maybe they'll just pull that information off the network so that the attacker can't get to it. And so, you know, we think about uh, being hacked as a binary state, either you're hacked or you're not hacked. Um, but really, uh, you know, it's a gradient. Uh, you know, they can break into your system, uh, but, you know, ultimately you can call yourself victorious if you keep them from obtaining the information that they were um, set out to obtain. Much the same way you have a virus in your body. If you don't know it's there, it hasn't done anything, you know, to this point. If you could figure out that it's there and get rid of it or stop it from doing achieving what it wanted to do, that's a victory, even though the virus actually was able to get into your body. Yep. And, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing is just trying to, you know, help the antibodies do their job better. So talk about this. You're kind of at the beginning stages uh, of this project. What, what's the next steps when, you know, uh, I, I know that uh, anytime you're talking about cybersecurity, moving quickly mm -hmm. um, to try to stay ahead of, of hacking um, hackers and their systems and that sort of thing is, is uh, really important. But, uh, you know, w what's your next step? So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, some of our early results on this uh, program are related to um, addressing this really big scalability issue. You know, we want to be able to collect as much information as possible um, as to what's happening on these machines so that we can process it and give it to system defenders. Um, but there's costs associated with that. So, um, you know, the system I described earlier, Winnower, we think that's an important step towards addressing this issue of how do we scale um, systems. <laughs> so now that we've made it uh, more efficient to collect this information, we want to collect more information. <laughs> um, pr particularly, uh, 
you know, I, I've been talking about audit logs as if they were one thing on a computer. Um, most of the time we work with the information that the operating system is collecting, so we see a little bit about what every single program is doing on the computer. Uh, but in reality, all of this forensic information that's stored in audit logs, it's very diffuse. Um, the operating system's reporting some, your web browser is recording its own audit logs, your email server, you know, so on and so forth. Everyone's collecting its own for information for, you know, for debugging purposes, things like that. So what I'm really interested in doing moving forward is developing techniques that we can use to integrate all of this information together. Uh, more often than not, an attack isn't going to involve a single program. You know, uh, you know, maybe uh, you know the, the attacker initially gets into our computer through our email client, and then based on that, they launch you know several other programs. Um, they spread to a second computer in the network by using an exploit on a web server. And so as they go, um, different pieces of um, forensic evidence are being accumulated by these different programs, but currently all of that information is siloed at different places. So we're interested in developing techniques that'll allow us to unify all of that information so that rather than uh, just going off of the operating system's account of what's happening as, we are, as we're uh, doing now, we'll be able to um, accumulate a lot more information that allow us to more accurately identify, you know, the difference between um, a benign event that happens in the system and a suspicious event. Now, I guess I should mention one reason that this is important is because, you know, the operating system doesn't really understand what individual programs are doing, you know, right? Uh, you might be visiting a web page, but from the perspective of the operating system, you know, that's just you know, Google Chrome writing to a file. It doesn't know what was written. And the same thing is true for all different programs. So if we uh, can accumulate all of this information and uh, present it in a unified fashion, we're addressing an important semantic gap problem. So now, um, not only do we see the global view of what's happening according to the operating system, but we also have all of this rich information at the application layer as to what the, what the system's been doing. So in the past, we have read that you know, we identified that there's been a hack and, um, you know, what to do about it. How, how many of the actual hackers have been caught? What percentage or whatever? Or um, And do you feel like being able to identify, bring them to light, maybe will potentially discourage um, some hackers from being able to, to get into your system? Because obviously if they can, if we can figure out what you're up to and we can identify who they are, perhaps there's, Mm -hmm. You know, they, uh, it's not going to prevent them completely from saying, hey, I want to go in and hack into a system. But, um, you know, that would send some discouragement to them, I would think. Yeah. So, you know, we often refer to this issue as uh, attribution. Um, you know, can, can we, you know, if we're on the Internet, can we figure out who is responsible for a certain event occurring that happened, you know, elsewhere in the world? And it's a very difficult problem. Um, based, you know, largely on the way that the internet was built. You know, we're still using a system that was designed under an assumption that everyone was going to behave the way that they were supposed to. And, and clearly that's not the case. So when we're dealing with attribution, uh, oftentimes the, the answers come not just from what's happening inside of the computer, but from outside of the computing world as well. Um, for example, you know, recently there's, you know, the report that we've identified you know, certain Russians that were allegedly responsible for the 2016 election hacks. Um, so uh, perhaps some of that information came from uh, forensic evidence that they collected at the DNC. 
but surely other important pieces of information came from you know government informants and uh, you know spies and classic espionage and things like that. Um, so uh, while the you know the computing world uh, is is an important piece of that, it's it's not the only source of information. Uh, one you know let me give a more concrete example of why that's the case. You know in the case of the DNC, no one was dialing in uh, from the Kremlin to attack those systems. Um, the way that you know these uh, sort of nation state attackers work, or really the way any sophisticated attacker works. Uh, computer computer hacker that is, um, they uh, compromise one machine that's not particularly important. They use that machine to compromise another machine that's somewhere else in the world, uh, and then they finally target their actual you know their actual attack um, the actual system they're trying to attack. And so as a result, at the DNC, you know the only thing that they can see is that you know some computer in a suburban house in Topeka, Kansas, tried to connect to them. Um, you know, they don't actually see, oh, you know, this is, you know, the uh, intelligence office for some uh, foreign adversarial nation uh, trying to trying to attack us, which makes attribution really difficult at the digital level. Well, fascinating stuff. We certainly are um, anxious to hear results. And, and as we keep going, ha have you back on uh, and for perhaps and we hope we don't have another big um, attack to talk about, but uh, perhaps uh, we can have you back on to, to further explore this, and we appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. Well, you know, we can keep our finger crossed, but um, if and when it happens, I'd be happy to come <laughs> back anytime and chat with you. Adam Bates has been our guest. He, uh, he's an assistant professor of computer science here at the University of Illinois. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois. We hope you'll help grow our corps of listeners by leaving a favorable rating on iTunes.